I'm Martin Blake. Today on Inside the Ropes, an Open Championship special and a class act as a guest, Ian Baker-Finch, the 1991 winner. Plus, another Aussie winner on tour. We run the line through Minwoo Lee's remarkable playoff victory at the Scottish Open. And we check in with the women from Shepparton Golf Club in Northern Victoria, doing amazing work around female participation. It's episode 215. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe now through your favourite podcast app. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Inside the Ropes, episode 215, and it's a cracker today. Always love talking to Ian Baker-Finch, an all-time great of our game, and we'll hear from him soon from Florida. I can't think of a more appropriate week to chat to Finchie, given that it's 30 years since the greatest day of his golfing life. Matt Cutler, our high-performance guru, is with me again as co-host today as we go into what amounts to one of the best weeks of the golfing calendar, if not the best week. Welcome, Matty. And what a week Blakey. it's been. And a week and a bit it's been for Australian golf. You can't take a smile off your face. <laughs> it's, Is that uh, all you're doing? <laughs> no, no. It's uh, very much a team effort. But uh, long may it continue that every week uh, that you introduce inside the ropes we're talking about an australian winner on tour i'm gonna to have to keep going going indefinite uh min yes, yes. lee uh, is the the highlight of the week i mean it's a, it's an open special this week and obviously min Wu lee by winning the scottish open at the renaissance club last sunday in a playoff has got himself in to the open field for royal st george's this week there are 11 australians in the field but talk to talk us through a little bit about min Wu lee because uh, it was a fabulous finish in the playoff. He shot 64 in the final round to even get into a playoff uh, with Thomas Detry of France and, and Matt uh, Fitzpatrick of England. And then the first playoff hole, he just nailed it, didn't he? Oh, it was it, it was a very just polished performance. I mean, you look, he, he got himself into the tournament with a, a couple of nice rounds, a 68, 69, and, and then... You think, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm part of this tournament, but uh, had to go 65, 64 on the weekend uh, to to even make a playoff, and and geez, didn't he, didn't he leap into that playoff and uh, and, and hit it with momentum? So 22 years of age. Uh, I just want you to tell me what his world rank is because it was 240 last week. Let's just say that. What do you think it is this week? Uh, I know it's 61. Um, had a had a good look at the rankings. Substantial this, uh, this leap Monday afternoon. He's uh, well. Look, we we talk about trying to create top 100 players, and uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, there's been a few uh, guys jump in, and uh, Steph Kiriakou is knocking on the door as well. So it's it is a great leap. Actually, Lucas Herbert, who finished fourth in that Scottish Open, has jumped into the top 50 for the first time in his career. He's at number 49. So there are eight Australians in the top 100 in the in the world on the men's side, Maddie, and Jason Scriven is at 103. So um, they're pretty big numbers, aren't they? Um, the, in all honesty, do the high performance, you're only one of the high performance staff around the country, but times like this, you, you feel like, what you're doing is working. I'm not talking about you specifically necessarily, but just as a general rule, it, it makes you feel good, doesn't it, that something's going right? Yeah, and and more more than I mean, it's great to feel good about it and uh, and see people that you uh, you've you've grown up with and and know very well have success and good people at that. But I think even more importantly to that, we we talk about these things to the next crop coming through. 
um, whether it's the 15 or 16 year olds that that might see top 100 as, as this thing right off in the distance that is potentially unobtainable. But to see someone that's come through the same program and the same system that they have and, and probably shared a tournament leaderboard with them at some time to then be in the top world, world's top 100, it, it gives them uh, a reality around the fact that it can be done. Where does Minwoo Lee sit in the talent stakes? Oh, I mean, talent's a horrible word at times um, because I think hard work gets you further than talent, but um, he's got a nice combo of being a hard worker and an enormous amount of talent, but he's just got a flair. He loves he loves being on show. He loves, he loves playing golf, um, which is half the battle, and just he has fun, and I think that's, that's just why he plays well. You've travelled away with him on, on tours and representing Australia and that sort of stuff. I mean, he's a cracking guy, isn't he? I mean, uh, if he ever gets into that, you know, really into the top 10 or something like that soon, you know, people are going to really warm to him, I think. Oh, no doubt. He, he's a guy that other people like to be around. He's fun. Um, he He's just got an enthusiasm and an energy that um, that people love and, and and being part of a team with him on various occasions, it's uh, I mean he, he's just a great team team person, and um, and even though he's playing an individual sport, he's got a team around him, and uh, I think that's why why they'll have some success. Maddie, uh, I've had a chat to Ian Baker Finch, the Olympic captain and the uh, you know 1991 Open champion. Uh, from Royal Birkdale a little earlier. We're going to drop that into the program later. But you've been having some dealings with Finchie uh, recently in your role as one of the team officials for the, the Australian team at the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, what are your memories? Do you have any memory of Ian Baker Finch winning the uh, 1991 British Open? That'll, t- that'll t- show your age a little bit. I, no. I, certainly, re- <laughs> I certainly remember it. I do. I, I, the, the Open is just something... I love watching and it's changed over the years. We, we used to have to wait until maybe 11 o'clock at night to, to see the afternoon groups. And, and now we get the opportunity to watch it from sort of three or four in the afternoon. But I remember watching, uh, it was a pink shirt. It was gray trousers. It was a, a Daiwa visor, I reckon, with a, with a nice mop of hair out the back. Um, it, it was just sunny day from memory. Um, and, and one of those, one of those days where all you wanted to do the next day was get your golf clubs out and uh, and have a hit. It was an extraordinary performance, 29 for the front nine. And, uh, you know, talking to Finchie uh, in the lead up to the Olympics, how how fired up is he about that? Oh, he is, he is super excited. He's been, he's been amazing for us in the lead up. Um, the connections he's got um, and the relationships he has with, with our Australian team, not, um, not just, um, Mark and Cam, but um, Hannah and Minji, and he's obviously travelled uh, with Minji to an Olympics before. But uh, no, look, the the experience and the the contacts and network that he's got um, are going to put our Australian team in great stead. What are you expecting for Open Week at Royal St George's? I'm not sure whether you've been to the course. As I said to Clates last week, I've, I went there in 2002 when Ben Curtis won. I can recall, uh, you know, a lot of hay if you hit it very wide, a lot of lost ball country, you know. Uh, I can remember, you know, the the dunes, you could see the rolling dunes and there were a lot of uh, unusual bounces, I thought, you know, in a, in a Lynx style way, you know, you, uh, you might get a bounce forward off the downslope, you might, you know, hit it into the upslope and it doesn't run very far, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. What do you think it's going to be like? And how, is there anyone particularly fancy the Australians, maybe, maybe Lucas or... 
Lucas Herbert well, or, uh, or Minwoo might might jump up. There's certainly a lot of Aussies uh, in form. Um, Wade Ormsby had a uh, another great week last week, and I think he might be on the cusp of getting a start. But in I terms think of the, he's course, the next alternate, yeah, I, I think so. In terms of the course, Blake, you haven't been fortunate enough like you to get to a get to an open yet. But uh, I I don't know as a as a viewer on TV, you sort of want that course playing firm fast you want you want some tough conditions it, it, the open just doesn't look like the open to me if there's no wind and the sun's out it just it doesn't look right yeah, you can't have green they don't like green do they no no well there's 11 australians in the field and you can catch all the action on on fox sports and ko uh, i think the coverage tends to start about 3 30 in the afternoon nowadays as you said maddie so you can kind of set aside a day can't you really and all night um Pretty tough going sometimes deep into the night, but when you've got to get up and go to work. But uh, you know, it's it's absolutely fabulous TV, isn't it? Oh, it's um, it's just. I mean, you realise how much we've missed with with everything that's been going on, and that that summer of European sport where the Open sits sits right in the middle. But um, there's already been some some late nights and early mornings with with other tournaments, um, Lucas and Minwoo and. I won't lie, I'm flicking across to the Tour de France every uh, now and then, Blakey, just to see a bit of that too. So um, not sure when we're going to catch up on sleep, but uh, it certainly won't be this week. Well, Maddie, uh, just before we get to Ian Baker, Finch uh, talking about his historic uh, triumph in the in the Open Championship in 1991. Let's have a little wrap-up of what happened over the weekend. As I mentioned, Minwoo Lee wins the Scottish Open. Lucas Herbert was only a shot out of the playoff uh, the week after he won on the European Tour, so he's in some really hot form, isn't he? Yeah, Lucas um, went back and forth with him on uh, on text, and he was uh, he was pretty tired after that win. Um, takes takes a lot out of you, uh, seventy two holes, and uh, particularly from a mental perspective. So to come uh, T four the following week and one shot out of a, out of a playoff was was phenomenal for him. And let's let's just hope he keeps it rolling. He's just growing all the time. So on the PGA Tour, the John Tour, John Deere Classic, Cameron Percy had a really good finish there, finished up tied 11th with a 65 in the final round. Just uh, Lucas Glover from America won that. On the LPGA, Sue O is playing quite well. Another player who you, you've had a lot of uh, dealings with over the years through the amateur programs and then since she uh, went through the, the Golf Australia rookie program. Suo tied 15th in the Marathon LPGA Classic. Are you liking what you're seeing from Sue at the moment? Yeah, Sue's had a really nice, consistent year since she, she headed back over uh, a few months back. Um, she's just sort of building and uh, having a lot of sort of tea, tied 15, tied 20 um, results. Um, so, yeah, hopefully she can build on that. But uh, Nasa Hateoka, who, who won that event, quite convincingly has an Australian connection with uh, Gareth Jones in South Australia, a, uh, a long-time coach of hers. Well, I think Gareth used to bring the Japanese team, amateur team, down here, didn't he, quite a bit for, for training and practice? And NASA did, would have been did. part of that. Absolutely. NASA's uh, spent a lot of time in Australia and, uh, and a great person, again, uh, who, who you're happy to see have success. On the Corn Ferry Tour, Brett Druitt was the best of the Australians, tied seventh there. He's basically been the best of the Australians on that tour all year, and he's he's in with a really good shot of getting himself a uh, ticket to play on the main tour. Yeah, absolutely. He's He's been really consistent, had a, uh, a couple of top tens this year, um, playing really well, um, probably flies under the radar, um, a little bit older than some of our um, earlier transitioning players, but uh, no, Brett's had a great year. 
Dimi Papadados is in form at the moment. He had a he was up close the week before and on the Challenge Tour in Europe and he uh, in France over the weekend. He finished tied ninth on the Ladies European Tour. Uh, Steph Kiriako is obviously our star there, having won the week before. She backed up with a tied sixth in England this week. Minji Lee stopped over in Europe for a, an occasional uh, appearance there and finished 11th as well. On the Symmetra Tour, Robin Choi finished tied 17th, was the best of the Australians. And uh, a shout-out to Rod Pampling, who's now playing the Senior Tour, who finished fourth in the US Senior Open, which is a fantastic effort, shot 69 67 over the weekend. He just seems to be a player who keeps, you know, he's playing as well as he ever did, really. Yeah, it's still, uh, it's still got to be good golf. Uh, you look at those scores that they shoot, it's still got to be really good golf. Well, it's interesting. You know, Robert Allenby turned 50 today, I believe, uh, as we record this, and he's going on to the senior tour as well, but it's not, it's not an, an easy ticket, is it? No, it's actually uh, guys who've had great careers. You, you'd imagine they just have a walk up start, but it's, uh, it's, pretty competitive to get uh, to actually get onto that tour we're going to take a our first break now maddie and we'll be back in a moment and the voice that you hear uh, soon after that will be none other than ian baker finch with australian golf media you're back inside the ropes welcome back to inside the ropes it's my great pleasure to welcome ian baker finch to the program on a pretty momentous week because this is the open championship special of inside the ropes and as it's turned out, it's 30 years since Ian Baker Finch won his only major, the 1991 Open Championship at Royal Birkdale. Uh, the greatest week of his professional life. Ian Baker Finch, welcome to Inside the Ropes. Thanks very much, Martin. Good to be with you, mate. Where did that 30 years go, just quietly? Yeah, really. It's uh, <laughs> amazing, isn't it, how quickly time goes? We, we always talk about that and I always remember my parents saying, you just wait, you'll know what I'm talking about. And now I'm saying that to my daughters that are 32 and 30. Do you celebrate uh, each year at Open Championship time? I know you love the event. You've spoken about that before, but do you do you reflect back or do you ever watch the video of your win at, at Birkdale? Um, no, I don't watch the video. Uh, I reflect back. Um, I watched the Open, obviously. I don't cover it anymore. I covered it for a number of years for television, but now it's on NBC and I work for CBS in the States, so I, I don't cover it, but I watch it. So it's a rare week off for me, actually. Um, I always cheers out of the claret jug on that Sunday evening to the new champion, uh, something appropriate, depending on the nationality of the, uh, of the winner. Um, so yeah, and it's it's a special occasion type of thing. I, I bring the claret jug out to show people for the first time that visit the house, and sometimes uh, we'll have people over that Sunday afternoon to the house, and and always have the uh, the jug available and and full. Well, hopefully it's a nice uh, Penfolds Grange this weekend because I was just looking at the, the list of winners. Uh, you know, it's 1993, the last Australian winner, Greg Norman, won two years after you and we haven't had a winner since. So that's turning into a little bit of a drought, which I don't know what you think about that, but um, it's hard to explain because normally Australians would, would play well in that environment. Yes, you'd expect the Australians to do well. It's the one that all of us want to win the most. Um, wow, Greg was the last Australian winner. Scotty had a good chance 
and really should have won there at uh, Muirfield. But um, this year we've got a lot of chances, really. I, I love the way Lucas Herbert's playing. I love the way Cam Davis is playing, having won in the last couple of weeks. Minwoo Lee won the Scottish Open. Wouldn't that be awesome for a young fellow to win at his age? But, uh, you know, Leash, Leash has had a couple of good chances, lost in a playoff at St Andrews in 15. Uh, Cam Smith's in good form. Never count Scotty or Jason out. Jason obviously uh, has been a bit lost uh, in his own issues uh, over the last year or two. You know, just his, his back's getting better. His, his issues with that are over. It's really just a, a twinge every once in a while that he suffers with. But his uh, ability is, hasn't gone away, that's for sure. So anyway, I think this could be as good a year as any, Blakey, for, uh, for another Aussie victory. I, I really... Um, I believe that. I, I think we'd be a good chance. Um, I want to say, is there 10 or 11 Australians in the field? It's 11 at the moment. And 11, I think yeah. Wade Ormsby is the first alternate as well. There's been a few people dropping out because of COVID-related issues. So uh, there's 11 right as we speak. Did did um, Cam Davis uh, get over he, the, um, the visa issue or no? No, he did not. He declined because he's applying for a green card and he's he was advised that if he left the country, it may well be difficult for him to get back in. So he declined, unfortunately. Yeah, I thought I thought someone might have been able to help him with that. But anyway, that, that's a shame because uh, I really thought he'd be a, a really good solid chance as well as he plays. And it's a driver's course there. Um, that's why I like Lucas Herbert and Minwoo Lee. Actually, all our boys drive the ball well. So that's a good thing. Before we move on from Birkdale 91, I want to paint the picture there for the listeners. So it's, I, I think, a pretty warm English day, July 21, 1991. You'd shot 64 on the Saturday, I believe, and you were three from the lead as you stepped out on the final day. You had a nice deep pink shirt on in the, you know, the early days when it was, became okay for men to wear pink. I don't know whether you've still got that, that shirt somewhere. Um, I do. Yeah, I thought you might. And uh, you went out and you shot 29 for the front nine. At one point, you're leading by five. And I read a quote from you, Finchie, once where you said to Mike Clayton, actually, that you felt like there was a white line on the ground between where you were hitting from and the flag. You almost knocked the flag out a few times. Uh, people talk about being in the zone. What does that feel like? Because... That was incredible, that, that couple of hours of sport on that mm. Sunday afternoon. What does that feel like? It, it really was surreal. It's something that people search for and not many people ever find it. And when you do, it's, uh, it's an exceptional feeling. I had been playing well, so my confidence was high. Um, I'd been working on some breathing technique that um, allowed me to really focus and stay in my own space, which I always found difficult to focus and it's why I had twice as many seconds as I had firsts because I, I just didn't quite figure out how to finish it off at times. But, um, yeah, that, that it was like an iridescent white line. It was really creepy. It was really like a, you know, when you, you walk into a, a blue light or like a, um, it's, it just really stands out. It's, uh, it's hard to explain, but sometimes I'd look, in my pre-shot routine, I'd, I'd be over the ball and I'd look down from the ball to the target and this, it was just a bright white line straight to the flag and the flag was lit up 
Um, really, I've had that sometimes on the greens in the past when I've putted really well, where I could see a, a channel to the hole, uh, which which really increases your confidence, obviously. But um, yeah, that was a, a day where I hit. People say, oh boy, he putted well. But I, I only had five one putts, so two putted every other green. I actually hit the ball great that weekend, really to shoot 64, 66. And uh, really just, as my caddy said, it was like riding secretariat. He said all he had to do was hold on, stay on the horse, and he knew I was going to win. It was, uh, it was that, that good um, that weekend. So well, never Pete, regained Pete it, unfortunately. Well, Pete, Pete Bender, Bender was on your bag who, who had caddied for Greg Norman, uh, I think, uh, in, when he won his mm-hmm. first Open in 1986, one of the great caddies yeah. in his own right. There was a moment, I think, on the 16th where you absolutely drilled. Might have been a, a four-iron into the mm-hmm. green there. And uh, on the TV coverage, it showed you saying to Pete Bender, do you like that one, Petey? Do you like that one? And he just says, I love it, which is a great, great moment. You, you were so confident that day, Finchie. You, you know, if you were able to bottle that and, and uh, you, you mentioned that you weren't able to get back to that level again which is the reality of it but um if you're able to bottle it you might have won four or five more majors maybe yeah i had a few chances over the next couple of years um had a couple of chances leading up to that but yeah you're right it, it's hard to do the the great players figure it out and do it more consistently but um to just do it occasionally or or at that time you know at that one time in a major uh is something very special is it life changing? It's like well, winning the Open is life changing because it was a a goal achieved, my major definite purpose in life. Um, unfortunately, I tried too hard to continue to be that guy that weekend. Every time I went on out on the course, so I got very very hard on myself. I remember the next year, just briefly, I, I finished twenty fourth in the world rankings at the end of nineteen ninety two. I'd finished. Top 10 in two majors, top 20 in, in uh, the Open in my defence. I think I double bogeyed the last to finish 19th. Finished second in the Players' Championship, won a tournament, big tournament in Europe. And I was really down on myself for finishing the year 24th in the world rankings. I'd slipped, I thought. I'd, I'd sort of was really, really harsh. And uh, when I look back on that now, I, I can't believe I had that attitude, but I felt that I had to be that guy, that that open champion every time I stepped on the tee, and I didn't need to be. And I've been a good sounding board for a lot of other players since in helping them uh, get by that issue that we all have when we uh, achieve a goal and and not sure what where to go next or what step to take. So, yeah, where, anyway. where do you where do you go to once you climb to the top of the mountain? Mm. You said uh, you've been incredibly humble, Finch, and you're, you've always been a, a class act. But uh, on this program uh, a few years ago, you said something which I found amazing. Uh, you said, "I never saw myself being on top. I never saw myself being number one." And you just referred a couple of seconds ago to the great players, but you don't kind of count yourself in that bunch. You. Uh, you had a, a self doubts and about yourself back in the in the day, and you've openly acknowledged that. You you open you embrace that, and you you understand that that happened. Yeah, I 
I think I achieved a very high level in the game, obviously, to win a major. Um, not many do. Uh, to win two, it's a very, very small club, and, and more than two is, uh, you know, you could fit them in one room. So it's, it's an achievement, sure, but uh, I was a good player. Uh, I, at the time, I thought I'd play forever, but I really only had about 10 years from first win on the major circuit to my last win. And uh, in that time, I was sort of a top 25 to top 50 player in the world, occasionally top 10. But, um, you know, I think the great players are those that are top 10 in the world year after year after year. I never aspired to be number one. I just aspired to be the best I could be. And I think that's the difference. I think Adam Scott and Jason Day got to number one in the world because they worked hard at it, harder than most, um, harder than most people can even imagine, and they wanted to be number one. Greg Norman wanted to be number one. There's a big difference in wanting to be as good as you can be and wanting to be a professional golfer and win tournaments. But to be number one, uh, you give up a lot. When the fall came, Finchie, and it was a spectacular fall, which you, you understand, and people do focus on, on the things that happened to you when you lost your game. You, you didn't know where the ball was going off the tee, basically. You know, you, you, you had the, the, the big snap hook happening and, you know, the, the out of bounds at St Andrews and, the, you know, what, what happened to you at Troon a few years later. Um, there's a focus on that, but it never really defeated you, did it? Because you moved on with your life. You realised that uh, your professional golf touring life was just part of your life and you, you've got a great family. You've got two girls and your wife, Jenny, there in Florida and you became a commentator, which uh, you've, you've had a terrific career in your own right out of that. So it never. what I'm saying is it didn't defeat you. No, no, it, it uh, made me find another defining purpose, if you will. Uh, it made me really think deep, especially the um, playing poorly at Troon. I should never have played Troon. I, I had no intention of playing, and they, the guys talked me into it because I happened to be there. Well, that was 97, yeah? 97, yeah. I, I was there for meetings with the PGA Tour, and uh, the guy said, hey, you're here, you may as well play, and my, my back was bad. I hadn't played for a year. I'd, I'd had a six months where I didn't play at all. I had to fix injuries. I had my feet taped for six months. Anyway... I went and played and I played poorly and I shot uh, 20 over par and withdrew after that round. I was so devastated. And the only thing that really has beaten me, I guess, when you look back on that is I haven't played the Open since because I fear that, that I could go back and lose my mind for a day and, and play like that for whatever reason. Um, I still shoot 72 or better every time I play. I always did. And people would think that, oh, Finchie can't even break 90 now. Well, it's a bit different when you go and tee it up in a major for the only time you've played in a year and uh, playing 45-mile-an-hour winds around Troon. It's, um, that's the only thing that, that bugs me is that, that that day got the better of me, but the other side of me says, hey, you know, let it go. I shouldn't have been there in the first place. But that made my decision to go do something else. I had two little girls at home, lovely wife, a really good life. Uh, I was offered the job to work with ABC and ESPN in the States the next year. So from 1998, uh, I worked for television. I now work for CBS and have done for 15 years there with uh, really the leading team in golf, in, in the world of golf television. 
So I've been very fortunate. I've, I've sort of forged another career. And to be honest, I think most people know me now as the TV guy with the Aussie voice rather than the British Open champion. Yes. Well, some of our listeners today probably weren't even born or watching golf around that time. Uh, how is your life now? I know that you're going out to Robert Allenby's 50th birthday party tonight, uh, but mm-hmm. life is good. You're hitting the ball pretty well and uh, hopefully, yeah, when, knowing, I, knowing Robert, I imagine there'll be some good wine, Australian wine on the on the wine list tonight as well. <laughs> yeah, lots lots to uh, unpack there. Yes, there'll be some good Aussie wines, I'm sure. Robert uh, is always and has always been a wonderful host. Just a quick aside to Robert being 50 today. It's actually his birthday today. He, I played two practice rounds with him at Royal Birkdale 30 years ago. He was over there with the Golf Australia team and his coach, Stephen Bann, who's a great friend of mine, and we were both in each other's wedding parties back in the day. He stayed with Jenny and I and Haley that week that I won. And they all came over to the house after I'd won. Um, and we had copious amounts of the big cans of Foster's and the big cans of VB that were available to buy at the local department store. And lots of Aussie wine, some bin 28s and some Penfolds 389, I think we found somewhere. Couldn't find any Grange. Actually, couldn't probably afford Grange back then. But anyway, um, we had a great time, had a great party. So I'm sure tonight, uh, Robert and I, as we always do British Open Week, we always cheers each other for his birthday and, and for my Open win. Um, he's He's been a heck of a player for that amount of time and he's now getting ready to go play the Champions Tour, so that'll be a lot of fun for him. He still plays really well as, uh, as well. Um, not well enough to compete on the regular tour because he's a bit dodgy with the, uh, the pitching, the chipping sometimes, but he still hits the ball great. Uh, outstanding, Finchie. And uh, before I let you go, I, ha- I have to ask you about the Olympics because you're not far mm. away from, from going to Tokyo. How do you, you were the captain in uh, Rio five years ago and you're doing that job again with Mark Leishman, Cameron Smith, Hannah Green and, and Minji Lee. Uh, what's the role of the captain when you're obviously non-playing? Uh, what what uh, kind of role do you fill there? My role as captain, and I did the same thing last time around in Rio, is to make sure I do everything that is possible to allow my team to perform at their peak. And whatever that is, whatever I think it is, however I can prepare, uh, I've got two really good guys at home, um, Matt Cutler and Brad James from Golf Australia, who have really been doing all the heavy lifting, as they did last time around with Brad and, uh, and so many others helping. But it's I want to make sure that when the team, guys first week, women's second week, that when they arrive, everything's done. They're treating it like the major of all majors. They're there to represent their country, regardless of how they play or feel or perform or whatever. They're representing Australia. They'll have the green and gold on and representing our flag, and they all know that all too well. And it's my job to get them there in the best possible um, preparatory way, You know, whether it be their fitness, their health, their mind, whatever get them to the course on time, ready to go each day, make sure everything's good at the hotel. You know, just I can't coach them. I can't uh, make them play any better than they know how to play. That's not my role. My role is to make sure that uh, they're able to perform at their best, and that's what I did in Rio, and that's why they asked me to do it again this time, and we'll, we'll definitely uh, be performing at a high level and, be doing, and they'll be doing their best in Tokyo. I wouldn't be surprised if we won a medal in, or two uh, in both the men's and women's competition. They're in great form and they're, they're all up for it. 
They're strong teams. Uh, you know, there's a lot of debate about golf in the Olympics, but my view of it, for what, of it, what it's worth, is uh, why not have golf in the Olympics? If you look at some of the crazy sports that they've got in there, mm. why wouldn't you have a great sport like golf? So, I, I mean, it's not ever going to be... The Olympic Games golf is not ever going to be up with the Masters or the or the Open Championship necessarily. Uh, maybe in time it, it could be, but it, it's nowhere near that level now. But on the other hand, it's it's only once every four years, and golf's too good a sport not to be in the Olympics. Well, there's That'd there's three view. things I can I can bring to you on that. One, it it legitimises golf around the world as an Olympic sport. That's a great thing for golf. You were correct in saying that golf has its own four majors, as does tennis have its own four majors. But tennis has been 30 years in the Olympics now. Little side note on that, very good friends with Todd Woodbridge. Todd has 26 major titles in tennis and one gold medal. And whenever he goes and talks to the kids about tennis, they, every one of them wants to see the gold medal. They don't care about the world championship. They don't call about the US Open or all of those major you know, Grand Slam titles that he won in, in doubles tennis. They care about that medal. And I think that's the big thing. Yes, you want to win a British Open. You want to win a Masters. You'd love to win the Grand Slam. But I think that the icing on the cake would have a Grand Slam and a gold medal. I think that would be something very, very special. So I, I understand where you're coming from. And a lot of us 30 years ago when golf was first talked about in the Olympics had the same feeling. We don't need it. We have the majors. But uh, it's been great for golf and to be recognised in the world of sport as an Olympic sport, uh, I think, is a, a great thing for golf in general. It's taking the game to a much broader audience, isn't it? It's just not just golf people. It's it's the, the bigger picture. And uh, yes. you know, maybe they could look at the format. I don't know. I mean, a lot of people have suggested it should be perhaps a team format, but as it stands at the moment, it's four-round stroke individuals. So um, what do you make of that? Well, I think it, to, to get into the Olympics to start with, it had to be a simple form. Uh, they only wanted to give three medals. They didn't want it to be mixed. They wanted it to be a single competition, men's and women's. And the easiest way to get it into the Olympics and to get it into the rotation and to have it approved was to have a regular tournament. Um, as they have 60 players. They didn't want 156. We would have loved to have had more representation around the world, but they wanted a smaller field. We had to work hard to expand it to 60, as a matter of fact. And uh, if, if a nation has more than two players in the top 15 in the world, they can have up to four. Uh, some nations only will have one representative because they're not in the top 300 in the rankings in the world. So there's, it's not just a team of two. And as you said, Blakey, it's uh, it's a single event, 60 players, both men and women, and there's just the three medals, gold, silver and bronze. And uh, if along the way we could change it to a team event, wouldn't it be great to have a men's and women's team play together? Maybe have a, you know, four days of, uh, you know, a, a better ball, a, a an alternate shot, a scramble, a single event, something a little bit more exciting than just a regular event. But at the moment, it's just good that it's in the Olympics and that's the only way we could sort of get it in to start with. 
And those four athletes, you would have spoken to them all fairly recently. They're, they're all super excited to go, aren't they? And the, the field is yes. very strong across the board. I know that Dustin Johnson declined on the men's side, but all the top women are there and the vast majority of the top men are there as well. Yeah, there's only a couple that declined. Once again, um, this, uh, the, the coronavirus has, has wreaked havoc. We're, we're lucky to even be playing the 2020 games in 21 in Japan. Uh, as you know now, the, the protocols are severe and um, now no fans at all, even local fans are now not allowed in, in any of the sports. So we're fortunate to even be holding the games. Um, same thing happened in Rio. The Zika virus, sort of a lot of people withdrew, but everyone said what a great success it was that they would all play this time. I think because of the protocols, because of a few that maybe, um, you know, of a young age, having children, a little bit concerned about catching it, a little bit concerned about perhaps going from the Open Championship to Tokyo, uh, having to quarantine a couple of weeks, things like that. There's, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, protocols that uh, are in place for overseas travel, as you all know and well aware of in Australia. I haven't been home for more than 20 months for that reason. So they're not, not going because it's, they don't want to play in the Olympics. They're, they've withdrawn because of the coronavirus. And uh, as you say, there's, there's probably four or five of those because of the protocols with the, with the men. I haven't heard of any with the women. It'll be a, a serious competition. The best player will win for sure. It's going to be like another major championship uh, that we see. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be exciting. I, I think we'll be going from the airport to the hotel and the hotel to the golf course and back to the hotel each day for the week. We're all there for, I'm there for 16 or so days, but the teams will be there for a week each. It'll be stringent uh, regulations and protocols, but um, the golf course is great. Kasumi Gaseki is the name of the golf course. It's in great shape. It's a beautiful golf course, 36 holes. Uh, it's sort of the Royal Melbourne of, of uh, Japan, to be honest with you. It's really something spectacular and very, very proud club with lots of tradition. So it'll be a success, I'm sure. I just hope we all, uh, the guys and girls, perform well, obviously, but uh, represent Australia in the best way they can, more importantly. Well, Finchie, it's been great talking to you, always is, and uh, I'll see you in Tokyo because I'm going to be the media liaison there, spending a bit of time with you. We might have a glass of wine there, and uh, hopefully you can bring back that first uh, Olympic golf medal. Ian Baker-Finch, thank you very much. Thanks, Blakey. Well, always great to catch up with Ian Baker-Finch, one of the nicest people in golf, as well as being one of the best minds in the game. After this break... We're going to change pace a little and catch up with the women of Shepparton Golf Club who are doing great things around female participation. With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. And while I'm at it, Maddie, I think the school holidays are finished. Just a reminder to folks out there, if they're interested in golfing at all, Golf Australia has two tremendous participation programs in place which you'll find at the Golf Australia website. That's golf.org.au forward slash mygolf, which is the mygolf program for kids. And golf.org.au forward slash get into golf is the adult participation program, which I think our next guest actually uh, has taken advantage of. Please have a look at those and see if you can make a start in the greatest 
game of all. A couple of other things to mention, Matty. Uh, Adelaide Pennant was played in the last few days, and it's congratulations to the Grange, who won the Sanderson Cup, which is the women's pennant competition in Adelaide. Uh, it's five of the last very, six very for the strong Grange, so they're on fire. They sure are, and what a great track it is as well. And speaking of great tracks, Kuyonga won the Simpson Cup, which is the men's pennant. That's their first win since 2015, and their 34th. Pretty hotly contested so, uh, Adelaide pennant. Uh, some, a lot of good players, and uh, they tend to uh, to stick to some of those great golf courses they've got over there. The Adelaide Sandbelt, what a beauty. Uh, so Vision 2025 is Golf Australia's women's and girls' participation strategy, and there's been a big change, I think, in the attitude out there at the clubs and golf facilities around the country in the in the last couple of years, driven by that that particular strategy. Today, we're going to talk to Lynn Eady from Shepparton Golf Club in Northern Victoria, who've had some big wins in this space. And I'm proud to say that they've won the June section of the Visionary of the Year Award, which pays tributes to clubs and facilities who make a difference in the participation space for women and girls. Uh, the program up there at Shep, which is, of course, the hometown of the late great Jared Lyle, who who started his golf at that particular club, uh, has been driven by not only Lynn, but Kim Morris, who's another Shepparton member. In December, they ran some get-into-golf clinics, which were attended by 56 women. And just a few months later, they've got 35 new members. Lynn Eady, welcome to Inside the Ropes. Oh, thank you very much. And it's a pleasure to be here with you both. Are you surprised how well you did in this from when you started? Um, I think we were both very surprised, Kim and I, and actually um, the other members as well. Um, We never anticipated the number of people in the initial program and we're just thrilled with the fact that we've been able to continue and actually get the new members on board. So, yeah, very surprised but pretty, pretty chuffed at the same time. So 35 new members for a, you know, a provincial club like Shepparton, and that's not an insignificant number, is it? That's a, that's a good boost for the club going forward. Um, it's a huge number of, of women, you know, um, embracing the game, I guess, so definitely a huge um, influx. But during um, 2020 and COVID, we did have a, a, um, a very big enrolment of male members particularly the footballers that couldn't play football. So the club has had a big membership um, hit all round. Well, as we know, golf golf is booming around Australia and whether it's COVID doing it or or whatever it is, it's something that we've we've got to capitalise on. Uh, before I let let Maddie have a have a go at some questions, uh, I just wanted to ask you, Lynn. You're you're at the at the coal face of this. Do you agree with me that there is a a bit of a change of scenery as regards women and girls in golf? Uh, you know, in the past, you know, we got down to twenty percent of uh, of total membership being women and girls, and uh, in the past there was the you know, if you talk to women about this, they'd say that a lot of them get intimidated and that kind of thing. Um, do you think it's changing? I would, I would hope that it is. Um, I, think, I think Golf Australia has done a terrific job of actually um, of building where we're at. So I think, um, yeah, it definitely is changing. There's still a long way to go, but we've certainly been able to embrace the change and I think there's a change across the board. So, Lynn, um, 56 new women did the three-week get-into-golf course and of that 56, 35 transitioned to members and and more importantly, the members, obviously keen golfers that we hope 
play the game for a long time. Like you must have done a fantastic job during those sessions to get so many to transition across to become members of the club. What what sort of things did you do? Um, look, I think the the club itself actually um, initially introduced a new category of membership, which was introductory women's membership. So that was bringing women who have had no experience of golf into the program or into the club um, with a $300 membership, which gave them six um, clinic lessons as well. So that was sort of club-based. And then for us um, with with our clinics, our focus was just come along and have a bit of fun. So enjoy golf, see what it's about. Um, we're here, we love it, um, we hope you'd love it too. So that was just the introductory. But then we, when we got that sort of number of um, participants first up, we realised we, we can't stop now. So we certainly had planned to do this anyway, but we were pushed a little bit before we were ready, I guess. And so that's when we started um, looking at what we could do in January for them. So with those original clinics, sort of an hour on the course or the practice fairway and then on the deck of the Shepparton Golf Course, which is beautiful, lovely views over the 10th hole and, um, you know, a, a drink and a fruit platter too. So it was really focused on being social. I think that's a really good point. Um, we, we, we think about people that come through and have a lifetime in golf and it is that social aspect, whether you're a, a woman, a man, a girl, or a boy—you want you want a group of people that you come through with. I think, and um, and to have done that and introduced people in this way is, I think, going to have a, a long-term effect for them. Um, it's it's just a fantastic mix that you presented to them. And look, I think um, another win for us was a lot of people who were coming along just to try it came along with a friend, so they've already got somebody on board with them. And so, if we can um, sort of connect those couple of beginners with a member at the club then that's where we think we'll that's where we're moving forward now we're sort of getting mentors or touch base people to keep connected with these um, new members and possibly other members out there because you know of of the um, 56 participants when we actually ran the program again in January and February we probably ended up with another 10 15 different people coming along and I know they've got friends at home too um, that will also play. So, yeah, we've got lots of possibilities. Lynn, when you started out golf, um, I'm not sure how long ago that is, but um, what were the what are the impediments to people uh, like you, uh, women and girls coming into the game? What are the the issues? Do you think for golf, getting women into the game? Well, um, I, I started back. Well, I started very early um, at, at Cobram Brewer actually, and they ran a mentor program or a sort of a Sunday morning session for younger high school kids. So that was way back. But then I just became, I was just a social golfer. So I, I did the flexible membership. So for me, when I wasn't playing much golf, I didn't want to be paying a lot of money. Um, so I think, I think that was, was part of it, finding a membership category that suited. So it's summer membership or flexible membership was, was really good. But then um, work and commitment. So um, daylight savings was fabulous because I'd come out after work, but I, I, I wasn't there to play 18 holes. So I just never imagined I'd get a handicap. So for me, it wasn't until I retired and um, took up golf seriously that I ever had played 18 holes and got a, a handicap and learned, you have to learn how to play competition. So all of those things. 
Well, Lynn, congratulations to Shep uh, for winning the Visionary of the the Year Award for June. Uh, that you're going to pick up a $500 drum and golf voucher for your troubles, and you're in the running for the yearly prize, which is $10,000 worth of Callaway product, which is quite something. So we really love the work that you've done. Uh, one of the reasons why we we publicise these things is because a lot of clubs want to get involved in this type of thing. They know that it's the right thing to do, but they're not quite sure actually how to go about it. So in in publicising the way that you've handled this, it kind of gives people the lead. So well done. Thank you very much. It's, um, you know, and thanks to Drummond and Callaway and Golf Australia because they've all given us the big start here. So thanks for your time as well. Thank you. And, Maddie, I think that's about it for today. It's been a big show. Please subscribe to Inside the Ropes and uh, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me, Blakey. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, listening to what we just heard uh, from IBF. That was great. We'll be back with more next week with a new British Open winner and hopefully an Australian Open Championship winner.